Hello, Calvary Church. Welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive, in which we take a deeper look into the passage or the topic of focus from the weekend. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Calvary, joined uh, today for the first time by Pastor Jeff Harding. Yeah. Jeff, you are our family ministries pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, Just big picture, what does that mean? Big picture. I oversee um, birth infant stuff, uh, programming and care, all the way through uh, seniors in high school, mm-hmm. uh, the staff, the volunteers, parent classes, resources, all that stuff. Yeah, lots of stuff, lots of people. Um, one of the things that I just really value in your role um, is that we have a, you know, more of a succinct vision from birth through college mm-hmm. um, instead of just hey, here's our children's ministry or here's our early childhood and our upper elementary and then middle school and then high school and then college, like having all of that under a single umbrella is just really helpful. Yeah. And I think families, you know, it. Uh, you're, you've been on staff now for uh, a year and a half, a little over a year. And um, so I think families over the next year, two, three, you know, they're going to start to see that. Oh, like, oh, that's what this means and feels like. And mm-hmm. anyway, so, uh, well, glad to have you on here. Just so uh, you're aware, what we kind of do on here is we'll, um, we don't always have. I don't know if it's obvious or not. We don't always have a game plan. You know, I've got a couple questions in mind, or we have a particular uh, point of theology, or maybe there's a verse in the passage that we want to, um, you know, double down on a little bit. But uh, we've been in the the Book of Acts. Um, this the series is the Church the World Needs, and so we're coming at that question like, what is the Church the World Needs? What can we learn about the Church, um, and then our involvement in it as individuals of the Church. And so we had, you know, we took a break for Easter. Um, last week we were in uh, Stephen's story, uh, so lots of good um, Old Testament, you know, throwbacks there in mm-hmm. his uh, in his stories. He broke that down. Um, we saw his death, and then um, from there, you know, we're introduced to this guy named Saul that we're gonna uh, bring back next week, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll see him take a, a real featured um, point in the story, but. Um, we see persecution start, and there's just this little statement that, um, you know, persecution from that day forward went out, and, you know, the church was scattered, and it really, we see a fulfillment even of what Jesus had commanded and commissioned his disciples in Acts 1-8, go, you know, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, and then right here in the book of Acts, as Stephen dies, and we see, you know, a a foreshadow of that, um, we really get you know, front and center, we we see this ends of the earth thing happening um, already in this story. So we're going to be in Acts chapter uh, 8 for today, um, and we're going to look at um, the uh, Philip and the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. So there's some other um, stories around, you know, you have Philip working, you've got um, Simon the magician, and then you've got um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's a, it's a familiar story. Uh, it's one of those stories that's often in like a, a children's uh, storybook Bible, um, because it's it's powerful. But uh, Jeff, as we just get started, if you will, will you just read uh, for us Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through uh, 40? Yeah. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll break it down a little bit. I know we've, we've got, um, we have more hefty books on the table than we normally do for the <laughs> deep dive. So we'll uh, maybe just, yeah, piece it apart. We'll go back to Isaiah 53 a little bit and um, 56 and mm-hmm. talk, you know, from there. So If you will, let's read. Cool. All right. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got ready and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet. When the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter and like a lamb that is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered that the chariot stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Awesome. So there's a there's a lot in here, and this is actually one of the beauties of the deep dive, is that um, you know we're already building on you know what Paul preached on this weekend, um, and for us though, uh, what we want to do is just kind of there's a few things that that come to mind that I want to shed a little bit of light on. Um, the first is a, a question that we're going to start with, and then if we have time, we're also going to end with it. Okay. So in um, it's interesting to me that throughout this entire passage, uh, you have um, this, this, this man who is only described as a eunuch. Like, we don't get his name. Uh, we don't learn anything else about him. Um, he's described as a, as a eunuch um, of the Ethiopian court, a court official, uh, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Um, Jeff, what? This is probably a loaded question. Like I said, we'll, we'll, if we have time, we'll come back to it again at the end. But okay. um, what is a eunuch? Like, what's significant about this, about this person, other than the fact that he is somebody who is, um, well, obviously seeking truth, mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he's opening up God's Word to, to find it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what, eunuch, we don't really have that role in our society. Right. Yeah, eunuch. Um, eunuch can be a chosen thing. Mm-hmm. It can be something that's happened involuntarily, mm-hmm. biologically. Mm-hmm. Um, what it refers to is uh, being able to procreate, being able to just have a, a normal life. Mm-hmm. And um, whether it's just the way that you were born, or mm-hmm. whether it's through um, a medical procedure, mm-hmm. um, this person is celibate, mm-hmm. either by choice or he has no choice. Mm-hmm. So he's working um, as a court official mm-hmm. over all the treasure, and so he has a very important job. But much like um, maybe some monks or other religious practices, yep. he is either chosen or has no choice uh, to be a eunuch. And so biologically, that's part of his life. Yeah. And, I mean, on another, on another level, 
um, it, it, it could simply be a particular title for a particular role. Um, that also then involves a, a celibate lifestyle as, mm-hmm. as a function of the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, again, we're going to come back to it if we have time at the end for some application stuff, just because uh, we want to be our articulate. We don't want to read um, our culture into the Bible. I mean, right. that, that is a, a, a biblical hermeneutical principle, like how do we engage in God's Word? Well, we engage in God's Word on its terms. Yep. And it's impossible to do that perfectly. It's impossible not to read... Um, okay, we have this this full gender conversation happening, you know, culturally for us of uh, was fifty different genders now. I think that are that are out there, um, and uh, we want to take all take that and and apply you know that type of of conversation to this text. And the that's not the focus of this text, but it's it's not absent from the text either. So mm-hmm. if we have time, we're going to get there. Um, and again, we're. We want to be articulate uh, and also gracious um, in how we, how we interact here. Um, okay, so you have this man uh, who is a, a high-ranking official uh, in the Ethiopian court. Uh, he is um, traveling, and you have Philip, who all of a sudden just appears on the scene and hears him um, reading from uh, the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading it out loud. I mean, that's probably how Philip is is aware of. Now, mm-hmm. um, in that time, reading was usually done out loud. Yep. Um, perhaps, I mean, it, it says that he, he was reading it, but we don't know, was was there somebody else with him who was reading it to him? We don't know if was he reading Either way, you have this this out loud nature of, of God's Word, and that's, I actually want to focus on that a little bit. You know, we're, mm. we're in the Old Testament um, here, in the sense that what's being read is from the Old Testament, right. um, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so, um, talk about the the oral nature of of God's word. Um, yeah, for the Old Testament people. Yeah, um, yeah. Like like Brad said, reading it out loud um, is something that was just done, and that's how it was known. Uh, in fact, one of the most powerful pieces of Jesus's ministry, of kind of going off of uh, Sermon on the Mount, and you have heard it said. Um, and he'll reference something that's in the Mosaic Law. Um, the Psalms at that point, I'm not sure they were numbered. They were mainly known by their opening line. Yeah. So, for example, Jesus on the cross starts quoting Psalm 22. Mm-hmm. And the end of Psalm 22, it's kind of a longer psalm, says, and all generations will know that he has done it. So he's actually proclaiming, yes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's actually saying, oh, just wait. Here comes mm. the best part. Yeah. And so him even saying that line, people are like, anyone listening who grew up um, Jewish and reading scriptures and everything would be like, wow, he's actually quoting that. Maybe he's disowning God or whatever else. But, you know, so in the oral nature of these things and parchment, it makes sense that this, that this person, the eunuch, is reading it because of his position. Parchment... Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you couldn't go to the local Walmart and just buy some parchment. Like, right. it was kind of hard to come by. In fact, if you look at any b- biblical scholars today, they're using technology to be able to see, oh, what this was written on, it was erased and written on over it because, like, three layers below it is a different piece of text and a different language. Mm-hmm. And often they, they found parchment, they needed it, they would erase what's there and write over it. Mm-hmm. And so, remembering and hearing. Yep. And processing was a very important part of that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's good to hear it aloud, kind of like 
using, you know, I take notes with this electronic thing, but, you know, a lot of studies show that writing something helps you remember it more. Reading it and the oral nature of the yeah. society yeah. was known. And so, you know, the angel prompted Philip and then the spirit, but obviously he was able to hear because heard it being read out loud. And yeah. so that's kind of the nature of just like how you sit and listen almost to a yeah. teacher. And if you don't have a teacher, you either have someone with you or you yourself read it out loud because that's just how learning and hearing and processing was done. Yeah, and it was even built into the fabric of the text. Yeah. Um, so like what, uh, we're going to get into the text here just in a second, but even in, so like Isaiah 53, for instance, um, it is, it's it's Hebrew poetry. Um, and, in, and one of the, the main functions of Hebrew poetry is the parallel nature, right? Mm-hmm. It's parallelism. Um, and so, and that, that comes in different forms, but one of the forms it comes in is through the Hebrew uh, vowels and syllables yeah. and the repetition of particular sounds. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so even as this would have been read, Philip might have be- been aware. I mean, obviously we have something supernatural happening here, but he might have been very familiar with this text just from the cadence of it and hearing it and knowing it. Kind of like uh, whenever you're listening to, uh, maybe you're listening to a, a playlist on, on Spotify or, or you know a particular album. And you kind of know what song is coming next. You mm-hmm. might not even be able to articulate, oh, this is the name of this song, but you know how one song ends and how the next song starts. And so you, there's like a almost this like feeling that you get, like, oh yeah, and you're almost you start singing the song without if you were to pause and someone were to ask you, hey, what song is that? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, there it kind is. Of yeah, reset. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so um, in the but we're in the New Testament here. And one of the, the, the main functions, features of the New Testament is, uh, this even goes back to how the, the early church fathers, as they were compiling and discovering the, the canon, that should be a, a whole series of talks for another time, but um, one of the, the features is, does it quote the Old Testament? And does it quote the Old Testament in a way that's consistent with the story, um, and in a way that points to uh, the person and the teachings of Jesus? And so um, you've got a big book over there. Uh, old that that's a Beal, right? Old yeah. Testament's use of the New Testament. Hmm. Um, what should we be looking for? I guess whenever we're interacting with New Testament texts, uh, as they quote Old Testament texts, mm-hmm. you need to look at um, obviously uh, who was writing it. So Isaiah writing it mm-hmm. seven hundred years or so before the birth of Christ. Yep. Um, and you need to look at who was writing it and who was he writing it to originally as he was writing it even though Peter tells us that the writers of Scripture in some some way knew that they were writing it not for themselves but for the future audience and for us now. Yep. And so you have this unique ability of whenever we write something now, you know, the Internet is forever. You know, you can go and find a terrible blog post I wrote in 2009, you know. so I'm definitely like, going to do that later. Oh, my gosh, please don't. <laughs> um, so there's there's this idea of like, okay, I know that someone could – find this later, but hopefully people, you know, find it now, especially with, like I mentioned, the rarity of parchment, Mm -hmm. the oral nature, the generation to generation, knowing things are carried forth. And of course, the biggest unique thing is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a mystery to us, but Mm -hmm. how scripture was written. Um, This idea of the Old Testament prophets, um, especially in the minor prophets, but not absent from the major prophets at all, um, which just has to do with the length of the book, not mm-hmm. points, mm-hmm. Uh, is Jerusalem, Israel, my people, you are screwing up. Mm-hmm. Like, here's, here's the truth. Here's what you need. And so 
when you have people writing prophecy um, about anything, because this story in Acts actually hints at other prophecies as well, mm-hmm. not just the one about Jesus. Mm-hmm. But Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, right, uh, is this idea of um, the eunuch who was uh, reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all throughout Isaiah, there's mentions of the servants of God, and the people of God. So even though you're thinking, well, Philip knows it, you know, Christians back then knew it, maybe most did, but a lot of people even reading it, especially Jewish people, were like, mm-hmm. could be talking about himself, to be talking about just us as his people. It wasn't immediately known. Well, and that's the um, the the future nature of prophecy, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is written, um, first and foremost, for and to the the people who, who who originally received it. Yes, yes. But it's also written for the benefit of those who haven't come yet, and it mm-hmm. might be something that um, happens in the future. Um, but the, the function of prophecy, right? Like God's people um, are experiencing judgment, and they're experiencing judgment as a, as a, a way to refine them and course-correct them back to their original... Um, purpose yeah. as to being this light of the nations, right? right? I mean, that that is the whole function there. And judgment is never the end of the story. Um, that's never the end of God's God's story. And so with uh, prophecy, it's, hey, listen, um, I'm going to do this for you. Live as if it's true right now. And so with Isaiah 53, obviously a very uh, Christological prophecy, it's, it's, it's pointing to Jesus. Um, I love the, the Christ-centered nature of of that of that text, and perhaps one of my favorite questions and, and points in, in Acts eight in the story is uh, is the the eunuch saying, "How can I understand this unless someone guides me?" Which is mm. just a great question, like that we should be taking to the Bible um, time and time again. But uh, Isaiah chapter fifty three, you've already mentioned a uh, suffering servant um, language. So let's mm-hmm. get into that um, into that text a little bit. Yeah. So Isaiah 53, um, uh, the passage that the eunuch was reading um, is found in 53 verses uh, 7 and 8. Um, and, uh, you know, he was oppressed mm-hmm. and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. A sheep that is silent before its shears. Uh, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away, um, considered cut off from the land. Mm-hmm. Um you know, who's this guy talking about? And, you know, you look at sheep, and you think of John the Baptist. Behold mm-hmm. the Lamb of God who takes away mm-hmm. the sins of the world. You know, yep. here he comes. And the idea of what um, Jewish people were doing in the time of Isaiah of sacrifices and um, how important that was. And so the um, the symbolism of a lamb mm-hmm. um, is very, very important. And um, when you continue down, you see lamb is... Broken, crushed, um, and uh, for for us, and so um, so in this passage for Isaiah fifty three, you have like, like we said, you know, you see the angel and then the Holy Spirit prompting Philip to go up, and you know, Philip knowing this, a lot of scholars think, okay, yeah, the Holy Spirit was guiding him, but at this point, with Jesus saying, you know, in John five. You know, you need to read the scriptures because they speak of me. You mm-hmm. know who I am if mm-hmm. you know the scriptures, and how ironic because you're the masters of it and you don't know who yeah. I am. Yeah. So, so you know, Christians at that point, followers of Jesus at that point, you know, the road to Emmaus, everything else, starting with the prophets, he explained him, and so like they should be able to look at passages like this one, especially. You can't. It's hard to miss. Like 
oh yeah, that's who it is. So in this case, is it just the Holy Spirit prompting Philip? Holy Spirit's prompting him to go. Do most early uh, followers of Jesus in the church know all these? a lot of these passages? Mm-hmm. Probably a decent amount of them. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, now this makes sense. Now this makes sense. Now this makes sense. So he's able to see it a little more. And probably the church at that point, uh, the very young church, was becoming very aware of all these passages. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's so good. Um, it's good for us to remember that, like, the Old Testament is our story too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not just the Jewish people's story. Um, it's not just the story for those who were part of the people of God but didn't embrace you know the Messiah as as Savior. Um, when I think of, of Isaiah fifty three, you know, one of the questions we should be wrestling with when we think about prophecy is, um, what what would constitute fulfillment of this text? Yeah, and um, w- there's partial fulfillment. Right, like this text is fulfilled if, when, if, and when um, the people of of God uh, embrace their role of being a light to the uh, to the nations. Um, but the, the the specific fulfillment is the coming of the Christ, and mm-hmm. so it's it's fascinating to me that here you have is a a text that was written for the Old Testament people of God, and yet you have an Ethiopian man who is not part of the Old Testament people of God coming to Jesus through it um he gets it and he gets it quickly now he see you know philip he, he needs philip to 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 point it out and explain it but he gets it quickly and then his response is, is what when they see when they see water yeah he's, he's what a, keeps me from being baptized what keeps me from being baptized mm-hmm. we have baptisms coming up in a couple weeks yeah um what uh it's it's fascinating to me now he he had a master class probably on baptism you know he didn't have the the um, not that yours is not a master class. Um, he didn't have <laughs> the Jeff awesome. Harding baptism class, you know, for Good. for he, families. He, he, a better one. <laughs> he yeah. had Philip leading it and doing it. Um, but yeah, what 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 keeps someone from being baptized, Jeff? Schedule. <laughs> um, yeah. So this passage is yeah. one of the three baptism passages in Acts that I have families mm, or awesome. students or adults look at after the first baptism class, to read through and see where we see it in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the actual class, so this is kind of one of the homework passages, in the actual class, the last part um, of the class is Jesus' baptism. Mm -hmm. And we look at Mark's account of it specifically, and it's beautiful. Um, You have Jesus' cousin baptizing him. It's a really cool picture of the Trinity. Mm. Son, Spirit descending, and the Father saying... Here's my son. Boom. Yeah. Probably, aside from like maybe the transfiguration, other parts, until etern- until eternity, until Jesus comes back, that's probably the most vivid picture visually, tangibly, anyone's ever seen of the Trinity ever. Mm, yeah. And so um, just incredible um, to think about um, hmm. this idea. And it's like Jesus started with baptism. Yeah. And, he, and when he ascends, he says, all right, Go and baptize, and that's what we're supposed to do. And it's really cool to have second graders asking you, "Why are you supposed to be baptized?" Mm. And it's like, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at what a disciple means, right? Um, and yeah, so baptism is a beautiful thing. Um, I grew up in a big Southern Baptist church. We have baptisms just about every week, um, mm. and. Um, you know, and whenever we have baptism classes, 
Um, sometimes it's a bigger class, sometimes it's a smaller class. Uh, and with everything else people have in their lives and churches have with schedule and events happening, mm. it's good to highlight it. And mm-hmm. so we do it twice a year here at Calvary. Mm-hmm. But there have been spontaneous times, sometimes maybe in youth, probably at camps and mm-hmm. mission trips and mm-hmm. you know, a small group going to a community center's pool and stuff. I'm sure there's been a lot of that. And I've I've been a part of some of those at different churches I've been at. And it's like, what's stopping me? And you know what? If there's the availability of it, cool. The biggest thing that we also highlight with baptism and communion in the sacraments, right, mm-hmm. sacred practices, is that, yeah, if you want to go to your bathtub with your parents or have a pastor there at a swimming pool and that's it, it doesn't make your baptism illegitimate. Mm-hmm. But those sacred practices, those sacraments, are best done in community. Yep. And so as the local church, we want to uplift that because when everyone else sees a baptism, they're reminded of their own baptism. When we together take communion, we remember and give thanks together of what Jesus did for us, and it's a lot more powerful, and it's meant to be... There's a reason why it's not just, okay, individual, go here and do your devotion, whatever. Throughout Scripture, Old New Testament, the people of God, the people of God, the church, the bride of Christ, community, God himself, the Trinity... Mm. is eternally in community. We're made in the image of God. We're meant to be together. And so does it make your baptism less than? No, but what a celebration, an amazing thing of what it's supposed to be when it's done together. And so that's why a lot of churches don't do it every week. They can, Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure uh, that it's intentional and in community. So that's another big reason why it's not done more often is because Let's get everyone here, make sure you understand what baptism means, and then let's party. Let's make a big deal out of yeah. it. No, that's awesome. Um, who can be baptized? Anyone who proclaims with their yeah. mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that they uh, that Jesus forgave their sins by dying for them and raising to life that we might have new life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, that's and that is the. I mean, that's what this story is with the Ethiopian eunuch. Absolutely. Um, we said we we'd go there a little bit if we have time, and I, I want to go there, but just 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 for a little bit. Um, one of the things that's amazing about the story to me is you have a a man who he's from Ethiopia. He is probably um, you know very dark skinned, right? So he looks differently than the the people that mm-hmm. you know the this message first went to. Um, he has a different place in society. Um, even some of the the physical, um, you know, whether it's biological, whether it's uh, you know self uh, emasculation. I mean, however we got there, right? He is um, he occupies a different place in in society. And I think one of the knocks against the church uh, is that uh, we want everybody to just come and conform and be part of you know look like everybody else, and uh, we have a difficult time with with people who maybe uh, aren't like us, right? So you think about people who are gay or who are um, you know trans or um, I mean those are some of the, the the biggest hot topics right within you know within culture and and come up come up in the church all the time. Uh, but the reality is, is anyone who says yes to the Jesus, to Jesus, anyone who says yes to the good news of the gospel, um, who are we to to keep them from, um, you know, from the great, you know, the means of grace that God has for us? And mm-hmm. so I want to read just something. This is something that I had written a paper uh, years ago about um, Isaiah fifty three. The question: uh, How does this passage speak about the people of God, their current condition, their role in the story, God's future for the people? Um, 
right here you have, you know, by reminding, again, Isaiah 53 is, is, in, is in focus, by reminding Israel of future inclusion of the Gentiles, but I think we could replace Gentiles with any word of, of people that don't belong, people that we we count out, people that, mm-hmm. that we put on the margin. Uh, into the people of God, the Lord is calling them back to their responsibility to live out their divine identity as God's people. He will unilaterally cover all transgressions and iniquities for those who believe, but this has not yet happened at this point in the story. Well, now where we get an axe, it has happened. As the people of God await this promised servant to deliver them from their sin, they need to repent and live as if this deliverance has already happened for the purpose of bringing light to the Gentile nations. Well, for us as the church who live in a different moment in history on the other side of Easter, um, we can live as if this is true and has already happened because it has already happened. And yet we're still, as a people, waiting for the final culmination, the return of Christ and the, uh, the re- restoration of all things. Um, but we are to be um, the church the world needs, which is a church that is proactive and intentionally engaging and reaching out and chasing down the lost because we have the good news, the hope of Jesus, um, Jesus Christ. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining um, joining uh, this deep dive. Next week, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We're going to be looking at Saul's conversion and, and his story. Um, as a reminder, you can find this deep dive and more resources on our website, calvary.church slash resources. Uh, shoot us an email at podcast at calvary.church if you have any questions or any topics that you'd like to see focused on in a future deep dive episode. Um, and as we always say, keep your Bibles open. Jesus matters most, and the Bible is the vehicle or a vehicle that God has given uh, us as his church to understand him and his mission better and more. Uh, see you next time. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.